who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book two of the Shadow Magic series. Read by the author. Chapter 42 Friends and Enemies. Did I wake you? Oh, my, my, no. She replied faster than I anticipated. Your father did that two days ago. I would have preferred to sleep for at least another moon. I'm an old woman, you know. I had no idea what she looked like two days previously, but by this conversation, new shoots and small, almost fluorescent leaves covered all of her boughs. She may be the oldest thing in the land, but to me, she looked brand new. I'm sorry, Mother Oak, I said. Oh, now, don't listen to me. With all of the excitement and door, I probably would have scolded you if you had not come to see me. But my, my, your father was a rude awakening. I've never seen a man with such energy. It was hard to keep up with his so many thoughts. Yeah, I'm sorry about him, too. He's been pretty embarrassing lately. From what I can tell, it seems that it's a father's responsibility to embarrass his offspring. Maybe so, I said, but he's taking it to a whole new level. Dad had jumped out of his deathbed with the energy of a five-year-old that had just eaten an entire bag of Halloween candy. What really spooked me was that he looked my age. Some said he even looked younger. After lots of hugging and kissing and jumping and staring into mirrors, and way too much loud whooping, he insisted I tell him everything that had happened since he had been paperweighted. When I had finally finished the whole adventure, he ordered new clothes. He had been listening to my story wrapped only in a sheet like some Roman emperor. And horses. We eventually convinced him that traveling in pitch dark would be a bad idea, so we ordered a crack-of-dawn departure for the Hall of Knowledge. 
I really could have used a lie-in and a day off, but Dad had lost the meaning of lie-in along with his gray hair. I tried to convince Ton to give me a lift, but he made it clear that he was not an air taxi service. We rode to the Hazellands in record time. There was none of that stopping and resting stuff. We were greeted by Dahi and Queen Rhiannon. The Pukas had arrived with reinforcements only a day after we had left. Red, slash Moran, had made peace with the Queen and had flown around long enough to make sure that Kielty and his army had really retreated back to the Reed and Brownie lands. Then he flew back to his island. Dad, despite his newly imposed adolescence, acted mostly kingly. He visited the wounded and held meetings about future defenses and the allocation of the kingdom's resources, but at other times he acted annoyingly juvenile usually by challenging me to arm wrestles or grabbing mom and dragging her kissing and giggling into any nearby tent. I'm sure he will calm down soon, Mother Oak said, reading my thoughts. I have never grown young, but I have certainly grown old. It must be an exciting thing for him. I know, but it's just a bit freaky. But enough about your father. Prince of Hazel and Oak, how went your winter? Ah, oh, how went my winter? Gods, now there was a question. Busy, I said with a sarcastic laugh. You know, the first time I came to the land, I was just trying to stay alive. This time I spent the whole time trying to keep my father alive. For once, I'd love to spend some time here just having fun. Oh my, my, Mother Oak said, and I could feel her sad smile. Oh, I have heard that grumble before. Responsibility is what you complain about. As far as I can tell, as you get older, responsibility is what replaces fun. That sounds like a bad deal to me. To me as well. But I can tell you this, the ones that do not shoulder their responsibilities may stay young, but they never stay happy. So what? I said. Should I grow up, do my duty, and stop cracking jokes? I'm not here to tell you any such thing, she said forcibly. Who am I to give advice? I do nothing but stick in the ground and bathe in sunlight all day. If you are looking for advice, there is countless better than I. But it seems to me that you do not need advice. You did what needed to be done. You saved your father from death and the pukas from extinction. You reunited Moran and Rhiannon and were victorious against Kielty and Turlo's forces in the face of overwhelming odds. I've known men centuries older than you that have grown less. No one needs to counsel you on responsibility. You know, Mother Oak, I think if I burnt down a house, you would probably compliment me on what nice ashes I made. As long as the house was not made of oak, she said, and in my mind I felt her wooden smile. Maybe it wasn't just hollow praise. Maybe I had grown up a bit. I wasn't sure I liked it. What had been bothering me most lately was the pain of Spiag's loss. 
Not that it hurt too much, but that it hurt too little. I knew war and death had become too commonplace for me, but even after all I'd been through, I should have had tears for Spiog. Do not worry that you have yet to grieve for the archer, Mother Oak said, interrupting my thoughts. The tears will come soon. Or perhaps not for a year, but they will come. Grief makes its own appointments. I hugged her and hoped that she was right. Connor, she said before I left, although I never understand them, I think it would be a shame if you no longer told your jokes. I whistled for my horse, gave Mother Oak one last hug, and then dropped directly into the saddle. I rode quickly back to Castle Door. All this talk of responsibility made me realize I had one more thing to do. The cold, thin air bounced off the warm woolen cap that Mom insisted I wear. At first, she had forbade me to go on this trip. Like almost everyone, she was dead set against me making this journey. When I put my foot down, she actually threatened to have me locked in the dungeon. When I finally convinced her and everyone else that I would probably be okay, considering my traveling companion was a fire-breathing dragon, she at least insisted I wear long underwear and a woolen cap. The cap, I must admit, was nice and toasty. The underwear itched a bit. I patted Dragon Tawn on his green scaly back and shouted, Are you sure you're not lost? In reply, he banked sharply to the left and bucked. I grabbed tight onto the makeshift dragon reins that the stablemaster and I had quickly invented earlier that day. Okay, okay, I shouted. You lose all your sense of humor when you're in reptilian form. I looked down at the passing Tirnanogian topography below. Winter was in its last clutches. Every once in a while, a brave crocus or a tree defiantly popped a dab of color into the dying season's gray and brown landscape. It wouldn't be long before it was shorts and t-shirt weather. I was looking forward to that. I breathed deeply and collected my thoughts. It was good to be alone for a moment, without Dad around. Since his re-adolescence, every time he saw me, he challenged me to a sword fight, or worse, a wrestling match. A couple of days ago, as he was pinning me with my arm twisted up my back, I asked him if we could talk without violence. I finally impressed on him that I would like it if he acted more like my dad and less like an annoying younger brother. He promised he would be more fatherly and then punched me hard in the arm. This was going to take time. Dahi vehemently didn't want me to go. The old master wasn't big on giving succor to enemies. He also thought this trip was a waste of resources. Dahi was gung-ho about putting together an attack force to storm the Oracle on Mount Cass. But Dad ordered him to calm down. Dahi insisted that Maka, Dad's mother, was alive. But Dad said finding an old knife didn't prove anything no matter what some crazy old archer said. Dad and Spiag had never seen eye to eye. 
Dahi didn't like it, but he accepted the orders from the teenage-looking king. In fact, everyone seemed to think that a king that looked like he wasn't even old enough to drink was just fine. Essa and I started getting on very well indeed. I took Spiag's dying advice and told her how I felt. I said if she promised not to try and kill me again, I would like to have a go at a relationship. She didn't say yes, but then again she didn't say no either, and we'd been pretty snugly ever since. She even said she wanted to take a trip to see the real world with me when we sent Brendan back home. I looked up to the heavens and said a silent thanks to Spiog. If anybody saw my eyes at that point, I would have told them that they were watering because of the cold air, but the truth was, the tears Mother Oak had promised would come some day came. I finally felt the loss of that strange but sweet old archer. I took out my white flag when I saw the alder trees below. Our first pass over Fern Keep was high, out of crossbow range. As we circled lower, the brownies showed uncharacteristic restraint and didn't fire at us. Ton banked sharply to the right and dropped altitude. Hey, I shouted at him. I almost fell off back here. Ton wasn't the best flyer in the sky, but I wasn't going to tell him that. He was still a bit touchy about the ribbing he had been getting after he accidentally landed on two leprechauns, breaking one of their arms. We landed far enough away from the main entrance so as to not freak everybody out, and so that if Taun landed on his face, people wouldn't see. There have been smoother landings. I jumped off when we started tipping, and Taun hit the ground rolling. When he finally righted himself, I patted his side and said, How the ballet lessons going? He turned and gave me the dragon equivalent of a dirty look. And when you are stared at by someone who can breathe fire, that's pretty scary. Taun stayed in his dragon form until a brownie battalion arrived. Once they knew we were here on a diplomatic mission and not to eat ice cream and brownies, Taun became Taun again. There's a saying that pilots use in the real world that goes, any landing you walk away from is a good landing. Taun delivered another dirty look, this one less scary. You want to walk home? Taun transformed into bodyguard bear, and in his arms he carried the reason we had come. At the main gate I declared who I was to the sergeant-at-arms and asked for an audience with King Bwaka. When he told us that we would have to wait in the guest wing, I informed him that we were here to see the Brownie King now, or we were going home. He came back ten minutes later and informed us that we were in luck, and the King would see us immediately. We were still made to wait a short time outside the throne room, but were then escorted on a long walk between two rows of hastily dressed brownie honor guard. They didn't look kindly on me or my bear. I'm sure that they had all heard by now that he was one of the dragons that incinerated many of their comrades. I felt like an away team supporter in a crowd of home team football fans. King Buaka sat on his dais in his alder throne. I approached and bowed a low bow. Before I could start my practiced royal protocol speech, the king said, You have cheek coming here. 
This visit, your highness, is neither diplomatic nor is it some sort of victory lap. I have come on a sorry task. I threw back the blanket that covered Ton's burden and then carefully took the shrouded body into my own arms. I have come to return to you the body of your son. I stepped up on the dais and laid Frank at his father's feet. Buaka was speechless as I backed away down the steps. Did you kill him, fairy? came an angry voice from behind the throne that made me and the king jump. I hadn't recognized the voice, but when he stepped into the light, of course I knew the face. No, Jesse, I replied. My name is Kadna. Of course, Prince Kadna, I said, bowing. I didn't kill him. If I had arrived earlier and had recognized your brother, I would have done all I could to prevent it. But I was too late. Who did kill him? The king asked. If it's vengeance you seek, your highness, then you should know that the one that killed your son was also killed by him. Who? Spiog, your highness. My son killed Spiog? The warrior archer? He did. Boaka sat higher in his seat. Then he did indeed die a noble death. He certainly was brave, I said, but I don't think I can call anything about this war noble. I knew your son, your highness, and even though we had our differences, I liked him. I am very sorry for your loss, and I am here to try and make sure that no other fathers lose their sons. What can I do to persuade you to stop this aggression against Cull and Dor? The brownie king sat back in his chair and said, Give us what is our due. Give us Castle Dor and the mines beneath. You know I can't do that. Your audience is ended, son of Dor. Returning my son has saved your life today, but in the future you will no longer be welcome in the Fernlands. I had also rehearsed a royally exit speech, but since he was no longer being nice, I just said, I want my horses. What? I left my horses at Fern Point. I assume you must now have them. The king came as close to standing as his hulking frame would allow. Are you accusing me? The horses are in our corral, Jesse said. I will take you to them. The king turned to his son. You most certainly will not. Prince Connor has been good to me in the past, father. He brought Demi back to us, and now I'm going to give him his horses. I don't think I ever really knew the definition of flabbergasted until I saw the look on King Bwaka's face. Jesse turned and walked out between the honor guard gauntlet, and we followed. I'm sure that all three of us expected a crossbow bolt in our backs at any time. I know I did. Jesse didn't say anything until we reached the gates of the corral. When he turned, his face and collar were drenched with silent tears. As we looked at each other, he flew into my arms and buried his face into my chest. I'm so sorry, Kadna, I said while stroking his hair. I know it was silly, and he was probably older than me, but he felt like the little brother I never had. 
His crying jag didn't last long, and when he finally straightened up and wiped his eyes, he said, You can still call me Jesse if you want. I smiled at him, and he tried hard to return it. I wish things were different, he said. Yeah, Jesse, me too. Cloud, Acorn, and Araf and Turlo's horses by this time made it over to where we were standing. Jesse ordered the stable boy to fetch two saddles, but Ton said, just one, and then changed himself into a horse. You keep Turlo's mount, I said to Jesse. His name is Fluffy. He's a good horse, and he deserves a better master than his last one. Will I ever see you again, Connor? I hope so. I said. And if I do, will we still be friends? Ah, Jesse, wouldn't this place be so much better if it was run by smart people like us? I said, flashing a Fergal-esque smile. Others can make us enemies, Jesse, but no one can unmake us friends. As I walked Cloud past him, I patted him on the shoulder. Be safe, my brownie friend. As I rode away, I felt worse with every step. Poor Jesse, stuck alone in that castle without his brother and with a stupid, misguided father. I toyed with the idea of turning around and taking him with me, but I was certain that that would only end in more tears. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.